now you who say, today or tomorrow, we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. Yet you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you, have, you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. As it is, you boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. So whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it, for him it is sin. Come now, you rich, weep and howl for, your, for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver have corroded and their corrosion will be evidenced against you and will eat your flesh like fire. You have laid up treasure in the last days. Behold, the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, which you kept back by fraud, are crying out against you. And the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord hosts. You have lived on the earth in luxury and in self-indulgence. You have fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. You have condemned and murdered the righteous person. He does not resist you. May God bless the reading of his word. Amen. You may be seated. What a gorgeous one to read the scripture. And what, a, what an exciting opportunity we have to gather before the Lord and sing some songs to Him and also to think carefully about what He'd have to say to us. And, and I know we have some guests here today, and, and it, it, I knew it would be an exciting day. Uh, I started out this morning feeling, uh, feeling like it could be a unique day, and then I get here, and the first words I hear out of anybody's mouth, Ash greets me as I'm entering the bathroom, and he says... I just got jalapeno in my eye. <laughs> and so I said, man, okay. Then here, let's, get this, let's do this. You know, this is going to be one of those days. Ashley, are you okay, first of all? Yeah, we have liability insurance. If your eye is injured, we, can, uh, we definitely are ready for to be sued. So, um, uh, you know, before I get into this passage, just teach you what God's Word says in James chapter 4, verse 13 through chapter 5, verse 6, I want to just kind of tell you especially for those of you that are guests, and there are several of you that are here for the very first time, how we think about church and what we think about um, when we're gathering in this way. We believe that God, God is real, He's a personal being, and created all things in the beginning, but the humans that He created rebelled against Him, and sin was ushered into the world, and every person born since then has been affected by sin. And it, it, it causes what we observe as brokenness in our lives, in, in our culture, in, in creation. And so what God began to do, even in the judgment, in Genesis chapter 3, where he judged man and woman and the serpent for sin, uh, he began a promise. And the promise would be that one would come that would provide restoration and wholeness. And that one is the Jesus Christ. And so we believe that through the person and work of Jesus Christ, we can be restored in a right relationship with God. This is good news. We call it the gospel. Uh, and, uh, and so as a church, our responsibility in what God is doing in the world is to be people that, that proclaim the gospel. So we proclaim the gospel in the way that we live and, and what we say and how we spend our money and how we spend our time. And, and a part of that equipping of uh, believers to take the gospel to the world is that the church is going to gather in small groups throughout the world uh, every single week for the teaching of God's word and so that people can hear 
what it means to live the gospel every single day. We call it mission. So our church, the way we articulate mission, is that we are in, inviting busy people to experience the peace of life with Jesus Christ. And so we believe deeply that this time on Sunday morning is really, really important. And uh, although we push back on the idea that this is the totality of Christianity, some people function in their faith in Christ like, like it all is captured in going to church on a Sunday morning. No, no, we don't think like that. We think that, that this is a part of uh, uh, what is required for our equipping so that when we go into the world, we can live the Christian faith. And so um, we talk about mission. God is inviting us and sending us on mission. And uh, it's really, the only reason I bring that up is it's a, an important reminder of what we're doing. My role in this time is to open the scriptures before you, the best way to equip you for faith and uh, living your faith in the real world is to listen carefully to God. The way we listen carefully to God is in His Word. And so my role in this time as a teacher is to teach you what the passages of the Scripture says. And, uh, and so you're welcome to read it from one of these books, uh, like a hard copy or like my wife. She reads hers off the phone, and if it gets boring, I think checks her email, uh, which is legit, right? And um, so, um, but as we think about mission, I, something I think is important for us to do this morning is just to pray for a few that are from our uh, ecclesia or from our congregation, from our group of called out ones, and are outside the walls of this gathering this morning on mission. Uh, Toby is in Georgia with a, Kelly Ryan, who's also a mission partner of our church, and uh, they're with another man by the name of Joe. Joe is a guy that they've been ministering to, and they've been sharing Christ with, and he is, believes in parts of Christianity, but maybe doesn't believe that God's working in the world. And so we're, I believe that what he's doing right now, Toby is, is in Georgia with them, encouraging Joe and Kelly as they're um, racing in a half Ironman there. And so that he's on mission. I told him this morning, we're praying for you, man, as you're on mission there, to encourage Joe to be a light uh, in his heart. We also have... A couple others. David Cole, who is, is um, um, has been a part of our church. David and Stephanie, they've got two children. We sent them over to a small, struggling church uh, over off of Westheimer in Shepherd. And he's over there this morning, and he's become a member over there. We, we gladly affirmed and sent them over there. Said, you go help that church. They're really struggling three or four people, and they're just thinking about giving the building away and all that kind of stuff, which is a terrible idea. And so he's over there, and they've actually asked him to preach. So he's preaching this morning which is pretty cool. And Matt Parrish, who leads it here sometimes, um, whenever um, JJ needs a break, um, Jay, uh, Matt is leading worship over there. So we have a couple of our families over there. So this is exciting. This is what mission means for us. And so the only excuse in my mind that you have for missing the weekly gathering where you're equipped for mission is to be out on mission. Um, and, uh, and so that, that's how we think about church. Well, here we are in James chapter uh, 4. And... Um, and as we think about mission, think about being equipped for mission and being used by God in the world, which is a really wonderful thing because there's not a person in here that's perfect. I mean, I'm not. Uh, I regularly have moments during the week where I think to myself, why in the world did you choose to use me? I struggle like everybody else. I'm imperfect like everybody else. But God says, I've chosen you. Quit being a whiner and just be used. And, and so I would say the same to you. God wants to use you in what he's doing in the world. And James here is being used um, a couple thousand years ago to write a letter of God's word to a group of Christians that are struggling. 
And we believe that the Bible is inspired, and God's the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so these words that he wrote to them expose truths that are equally valid for us today. And James has done a couple of different things. He's encouraged them in the midst of their suffering, but he's also, starting in chapter 2, uh, began to talk to them about uh, actions that authenticate their faith. And it seems as if some of them are claiming belief in Jesus Christ as Lord, but in fact their actions were revealing that their, their faith was not authentic. So James says there's a several areas where you can look at a person's life, in each other's lives, and, and determine whether or not that person genuinely is a follower of Jesus Christ. Have they, have they genuinely repented of their sin, placed their faith in Jesus, making him the Lord of their life? And so I call these faith indicators or authenticators. And so a couple of things that he's already brought up are in chapter uh, 2, 3, and the first part of 4 is like it's the way in which we treat people that are different than us can reveal a lot about how genuine your faith is. The way we treat people that are different than us, and if you're rich, those that are poor, and if you're poor, those that are rich. We can also tell a lot about a person's faith by how they talk, so their speech. What comes out of a person's mouth, according to the Bible, is an overflow of their heart, and so they, 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 may, they may, out of one side of their mouth, say, yes, I'm a Christ follower, but out of the other side of their mouth, say things that reveal that they are not, in fact, a Christ follower. They may treat people in such a way with their words that real, reveal that they're, they are not, in fact, a Christ follower. This is a really, really big deal. And here he enters into this conversation about money and how you spend your money. And if you're new to the church, every time money's brought up, uh, it's like, oh, here again, here we go again. This, all these guys talking about money. I want you to know, I, don't rarely, I rarely talk about money. I only talk about it when the Bible talks about it, when I'm teaching through books of the Bible. But here the Bible does talk about money, and it does not talk at all about giving your money to the church. And so, um, I will say that later, but not, that's not the main point of the passage. Um, the, the main point of the passage is that the way in which you handle your money says a lot about your faith, where you place your faith. And so it's relevant for all of us. He's already introduced this in James chapter 1. So if you have your Bibles, I hope you're already in James chapter 4. If, you're, if you don't have a Bible, lift up your hand and we'll get you one. Um, we have some in the back, just like the one I'm using here. Uh, James chapter 1, verses 9 through 11. Uh, I've already taught this passage of Scripture, but he has said that um, what we learned was that money will not make you rich. What we learned in that previous uh, group of passages. Money will not make you rich. Our sense of being rich in this life comes from being in Christ. People that rely on money to satisfy their deepest needs will feel a loss. They'll feel empty. And so he's already introduced this thing, but then he picks it up in a major way in chapter 4, verse 13. And so this is where we're going to pick up in this letter. The first group he addresses are a group of people that are inside the church and they're wealthy. How many of you feel wealthy? Okay, yeah, so good. All of you, <laughs> with respect to the world, 80 percent of which lives on $10 a day are very wealthy, um, but, but certainly there are some of you in here that in our economy would be considered wealthy. You've got more than the average person. So this first group of passages, this group, first group of verses uh, is addressed primarily to you. And the second group of passages of scripture in this section is addressed to people that are outside the church that are wealthy. So let's, let's just think about what these verses are saying. Here, verse 13, do you see it? 
Come now, you say, today or tomorrow we will go into such and such a town and spend a year there and trade and make a profit. So who's James addressing here? This group of, he just calls them you. Well, the people here that he is addressing are the people that say something that, realize, that, that reveals that they're overconfident about their future. And their confidence is in themselves and their ability to provide for themselves or their business, uh, the, the ability for their own business and their own mind, their own strategy for making money to work. It, it may be that this group is, well, what's happening here in this church where many people are struggling financially, there is a group of people that are not struggling financially. Their business is thriving. They are not feeling worn down and beat up like many others in this congregation. Instead, they're feeling quite confident. They, they feel confident in their capacity to secure a good future. And their plans as business people or as employees or employers, they're, they're quite normal. In and of themselves, there's nothing wrong with it. They're probably going to travel to a certain city. They're going to sell some goods. And they're going to purchase others. They're going to make money. I and mean, that on the surface, that doesn't seem like there's anything wrong with that, right? They're just trying to make a living, correct? There's nothing in their business in and of itself that's wrong. But the problem here is that, that these people seem to be relying on themselves and not God. And so they have, in essence, claimed with their mouth, yes, we are Christ followers. But functionally, or the way in which they're living is saying that, I don't need God. I am depending on myself. They're submitting to themselves as God, not as people. They're not living as people who are, are submitting to God Almighty. And, and we see here that there's a level of arrogance to them. It's, it's, it's the picture is, becomes more clear in verse 16. You boast in your arrogance. All such boasting is evil. Almost to the point that they would say, you know what? I don't need God to bless my business. I don't need God for my financial future. Look at, look at all that I have going on. Look at all my merchandise. I've got a lot of merchandise, and I'm going to go sell it, and I'm going to buy some, and I'm going to be okay. I don't see any problem with that. Well, James is warning them. He, he's warning them because they are, in essence, functionally atheists. Okay, an atheist is someone that, that, that uh, says that there is no God. And, and they may not believe that or claim that they believe that, but functionally, the way that they're functioning is as if there were no God. They are functioning as their own God. They are functional atheists, but you cannot be functionally an atheist for the trajectory of your life and truly be a follower of Jesus Christ. Do you, do you understand what I mean here? They're living as if there is no God in the area of their money. This is a problem. It's a big problem. Because certainly the way in which they think about their money in the context of the congregation is very, very significant. So their, their plans are made in such a way as if God does not exist. We, we would expect this of people that are outside the church, the people within the church. This is a problem. It does not work. Well, why doesn't it work? He says right here very simply, uh, you do not know what tomorrow will bring. What is your life? For you are a mist that appears for a little time and then vanishes. This is 
This idea of the brevity of our lives is found throughout Scripture. Just a couple of places I'll make mention of here. Psalm 39, 5. This psalmist reflects on the brevity of life. He says, Behold, speaking to God, you have made my days a few handbreadths, and my lifetime is as nothing before you. Surely all mankind stands as mere breath. Proverbs 27.1 is another place we see this idea in the Bible. Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. Here's what James is telling us. Okay, you have your plans, but you don't know what tomorrow holds. And, and here, here's the problem. This is a universal truth. I don't care whether or not someone believes that Jesus is Lord. Any reasonable person would say that we have no idea what tomorrow brings. I had no idea that when I would come up here we'd have a crisis like this jalapeno in the eye situation. You know, we have no idea. Some of you have experienced things in your life where you woke up one day and it was a normal day like any other day. And then after you lost your job, you lost someone that you love, or some, something un- unpredictable happened. This is a reality. What James is telling them is that you should not think about your financial future uh, and function when you think about your financial future as if you are your own God and you're going to take care of yourself. You have to. Here's what you have to do, he says. You have to submit to the Lord. Look here at the verse. If the Lord wills, we will live and do this or that. This would be a good verse to memorize. Maybe say it every single morning. God, I've got an idea what's going to happen today, but if the Lord wills. I will do this or that. Whatever you want, God. This is a really incredible idea. And what James is urging here among these believing uh, people with wealth is a conviction. A conviction that's worked out in their lives. It's congruent with the way they live. It lines up with the way they live. And the conviction is that they understand that God is in control of their decisions. Do you believe that? Do you really function financially in such a way that, 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 that is honestly saying, God, you're in control. You're in control of what's going on. Or do you try to take care of yourself? Well, the question may be, well, how do I know what the Lord's will is? If I'm saying, God, if the Lord will. Well, I, this is a long conversation, but just simply, to know the Lord's will, you must know the Lord's word. You must get in his word. And I don't know what God's specific will is for your individual life. And again, this could be a longer sermon, a long sermon series. But I do know it syncs up with His will in some way. And His will, ultimately, is that all men be saved and come to a knowledge of the truth. And so whatever God's will for your life is, it's going to sync up with God's, uh, the narrative of God's, the way in which God's working in the world. And that is that God wants people who are far from Him to be brought near to Him through the shed blood of Jesus So, God, I don't, I don't know what my future holds financially. I've said this a couple times in my own life. God, I don't know how this is going to work out financially. I think I've told you this before when I, when I told people a year ago that I was going to plant a church. A couple people that I respect, a tremendous amount of faith, they said to me, Russell, do you have any idea how difficult difficult it's going to be to take care of your family financially in this economy trying to plant the church. 
And I said, I probably don't have any idea. And I'm glad I know, but I do know that God, you know, kind of like the Lord wills. So be it. We will live to do this. We will plant this and this will work or it won't. What about you? As you think about your finances, I'm talking here to those of you that are believers. When you think about your financial future, do you submit it to God? You submit your financial future to God. You live as if with a, with a deep conviction of God, I just want to, holding what you have and what you'll make with an open hand. And Psalm 40 says, all that is in the earth is the Lord's. So what you have is God's anyway. Do you live like you kind of hide some back over here and, and you give you know God a little bit every once in a while, but really you're kind of functionally the God of your own finances? Or do you say, God, all this is yours, my house, my income, my future, my strategic plan, my projections, whatever. How do you live? Verse 17, it's kind of a funny verse. It's, it's common for James in this book. He kind of throws out these little tweets, these little proverbial phrases. He says, for whoever knows the right thing to do and fails to do it for him is sin. If you fail to submit yourself financially to God, that is a sin. Well, certainly there are those that would be hearing about what James was saying in his church that were not believers, not professing to be believers. And in chapter 5, verse 1 through 6, he launches into this kind of onslaught of truths that apply to people who are outside the church that are admittedly and happily uh, managing themselves, God of their own lives in the area of finances. Look here in verse, chapter 5, verse 1. Can you see it? It says, Come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. So this is specifically for people that are outside the church that are not following Jesus Christ. And maybe what he's trying to do, and maybe some of you fall in this category, you're not a follower of Jesus Christ, you're outside the church, and what these people are doing are they're following money as if it were a God. They're relying on money as functionally a Savior. So here, here, come now, you rich, weep and howl for the miseries that are coming upon you. Your future is not as, and what it means is that your future is not as hopeful as you might think. Money is a false God. Many of you would agree with that. It goes on to say, your riches have rotted and your garments are moth-eaten. Your gold and silver are, have corroded. The money will not last. The price of gold is going up, but it may go down. The price of silver is going down. What's going on in the stock market is it's not dependable. It, it's not terribly uh, reliable. Inflation will happen. So maybe there were some people, they were getting their money, and they were like, well, I know how I can do this. I'm going to rely on this accumulation of money. Well, in 10 years, that amount of money is not worth that much. That's how inflation works. So they're dependent upon themselves and their ability to sort of build this stockpile of money. This is like, I don't need God. All these people here that may need Jesus, and Jesus is a crutch or whatever. Really, I got all this and take care of myself. James tells me, your money will not last he says that corrosion will be evidence against you and you will eat your flesh like fire. I mean, he's really pumping it up here. I'm uncomfortable, are you? He says, if you're relying, if you're relying on your money, it will destroy you. Well, and apparently these people love money so much that they were mistreating their employees. And this maybe is a good word for all those of you that are in management position. That money will cause you to underpay those who work with you, loving money too much. Look at verse 4. Behold the wages of the laborers who mowed your fields, 
which you kept back from by fraud, are crying out against you, and the cries of the harvesters have reached the ears of the Lord of hosts. What James is saying is God's not going to ignore the cries of the people that work for you that you're mistreated because you love money too much. He goes on just to that you've lived on the earth in luxury and self-endure gold, but you've fattened your hearts in a day of slaughter. In other words, you keep indulging on stuff, material things. But the day is coming. The day is coming. So, as we think about this passage on money, and, and James certainly says some things that are very pointed and strong to this early congregation. Even to those people that are outside the congregation that are following not Jesus but money as Lord, but it begs a couple of questions. And um, like for instance, you might just say, "Well, Russell, how can how can we be sure we're handling our finances in a godly way?" And there are some of you that don't make a whole lot of money yet, and you may never make a whole lot of money. But really, a, a very practical question is, "Well, well, what I have, how can I be sure I'm handling that in a godly way?" But, but before I answer that question. I think what we must do is take it to a larger context of what's going on in this section of the book of James to this. How do we keep from becoming the kind of person who professes Christianity but functions as if they worship another God? Do you know what I mean? Like This is a greater concern. How do we keep from being the kind of person that says, yes, I believe that God is perfect that I am not, that Jesus died on the cross to, so that our sin, my sins can be forgiven, and I, and I follow Jesus. From, how can we keep from being able to profess that, but at the same time live in such a way that looks nothing like that? And I, you may know people like that, and I've certainly have been in seasons of my own life where I've lived like that. Here, here's how. We must have this pattern about our lives that look like this. Submit and repent. This must be a pattern in our lives. Not just in the area of finances, but generally. To submit and repent. We must regularly say, God, I've got to bring myself back up under you. I've got to submit to you. I'm going to follow you and love you. What happens is sometimes we kind of get there, we get comfortable, we kind of get into our rhythm, go, well, yeah, we good. You walk out over here underneath, away from submitting to God and his will. And then, and then you begin to fall into sin. You begin to chase after things that are not of God. So we have to go, oh, God, God, forgive me, forgive me, forgive me. You know, the most godly people I've ever are the people that repent most often. You know? People that just frankly say, you know what, man, I, I, uh, I need Jesus. I need God to forgive me always because I'm not perfect. I'm in process. So we must have this rhythm about of our lives that is submit and repent. And repentance is not a sign of weakness. In fact, it's a sign of strength in the Christian faith. To have a contrite heart. I brought this up a little bit last week. We must be people who are regularly saying, God, we need you. We're not perfect. We need you. We need to become less and less and less so Jesus can become more and more and more in our lives. So we must have this rhythm about our lives of submit and repent. But back to the question of how can we be sure we're handling our finances in a godly way? Well, I want you to remember that God guarantees you that he'll supply all of your needs according to the riches and glory. God will. Matthew chapter 5, there's a passage of scripture in there where it says, if God is going to take care of the lilies of the field, he's going to clothe them with beautiful uh, adornment. If he's going to take care of them, certainly he'll take care of them. God will take care of you. It may, it may not mean that you have all of your wants met, but it means that your needs are going to be met. 
God is going to take care of you no matter what happens to financial. Well, how should we think about finances? Uh, I am not a financial planner. I'm happy to sit down with you and help you think through your finances. We have several people uh, in our church that are bankers and, and uh, financial planners that can help, help you do that. Um, but, but there is something that I, that I want to tell you should drive how you think about finances. Here it is. You should live generously. Look to your neighbor and say, live generously. Oh, come on, you got to wake up. Um, live generously. Um, to live generously means that you are reflecting Jesus in the world. Think about this theologically, the gospel narrative. God was generous to us in that when we did not deserve it, God provided a way for our sins to be forgiven and to give us new life. I pray that God would give me just whatever he's got to give me so that I can live generously and give away my, my talents and my time and my energy and the resources that he provides. And I could leave my wife and my children to be, so we could be a family that we live generously and I could leave our church to be a group of people who live generously. We don't board our talents and our time and our energy and our resources, but instead we say, God, all of it's yours anyway, so we want to give it away on mission for you. We want to be people who live generously. Well, how can you live generously financially? This is a really practical question. Well, first thing you must do is you must work really, really hard. I know people that are praying, God provide, God provide, God provide financially, and when in fact God is saying, get the job. <laughs> Go out and work. And sometimes people want a glorious job or a job that pays more than minimum wage. But I really believe that God is saying, you be faithful in little things and I'll give you a greater responsibility. Some of you are in your job and you're not getting paid quite as much as you'd like, and you're working harder, you know, than everybody else. And you may in fact be working harder than everybody else. Well, what I would say to you is work hard. Be the kind of employee that is noticed, not, be, not, for, not because you're grabbing because you don't have more money or because you're pointing out that you're working harder than everybody else or even pointing out that you're doing a really, really good job. Be the kind of employee that's working hard. And something that you should know is Colossians 3 says that, that we're to do our work unto the Lord and not for man. So when you think about your job, you should think about, I'm going to work really really hard. We live in a day where a good hard work week is 40 to 50 hours. I think if you're not working 40 to 50 hours hard during the week, then, um, then, then it may be a, a place you can say, you know what, God, uh, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to step it up here. Work hard in the way that it works in our economy, and this doesn't always work in other places in the world, but in our economy, typically if you work really, really hard, you can get a job and there'll be some sort of income coming to you so that you're able to provide for God. That's what you got to provide for your basic needs and also so that you can be a person that lives generously. Now, I will say this. Uh, among us are the hardest working people are those that don't get paid and those are moms with children at home. And um, your, your reward is in heaven. And, um, so you certainly should keep working hard also. But not any harder. I know you're already working really hard. So once you begin working hard, practically, how do you live generously? First thing you must think about is giving 
to God, giving back to God some of what the first fruits of what he's given to you. There's this really stinging rebuke of Israel in the Old Testament when they were not giving back to God the tithe or some of what they had, the first fruits of what they had earned as an act of worship to God. And, um, and it said that they're robbing God. So I say to you, don't rob God. You want to be able to live generously? Don't rob God. Give God the first fruits of what you earn. You say, well, how much is that? I, I, I don't want to be legalistic and say, oh, it's this amount of money. Um, I think somewhere in the neighborhood of 10% of what you make. That seem like in sync or within the rhythm of what the Bible talks about as the tithe. So if you're saying, God, bless me, bless me, more, 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 God said, why are you robbing me? Why don't you honor me with what I've given you already, and then we'll see about blessing. The third very practical thing we should think about in being able to live generously is that you have to say adequately. Now, uh, the idea that um, you're going to be old someday and less employable and uh, it's going to be harder for you someday to earn an income may create panic in you. Like, I've got to just, just store, 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 store. There's absolutely nothing wrong with saving for, for retirement from the job that you work in. I don't actually see, well, I don't get all that, but, um, but, but you should save, you should save adequately. You should save an amount of money. And you should, it may require you getting with somebody who's just going to help you figure out how much of your money you can save after you give the first fruits back to God. Um, you should think about, okay, I want to save this much because I want to be ready for this, this, and this. If you're one of those kinds of people that's saving so much so that you could just fish and travel the last 25 years of your life, I do not see that actually in Scripture. I'm sorry. There are some people that just think, if I could just get to a place where I don't ever have to work, it doesn't. You're going to have to work. What's healthy for a human being is to be able to, to have to work until they're dead. It's part of it. And it's going to be hard. That's part of the fall. So save adequately. Don't save too much or too little. Save adequately. Jeannie and I are fortunate we've been able to save for a number of years here. And I, I don't think we're going to get to live. I'm not going to be able to retire when I'm 62 and, and, uh, or whatever. But we're going to have enough so that at the end of our life we're saving adequately. So we can keep seeing God meet the needs so we can live and continue the mission God's call us. That's more complicated than that little simple point, but I want to put it out there. And then the fourth idea. So we work hard, don't rob God, save adequately, and then the fourth thing is spend reasonably. Be reasonable when you're spending. Does that, does that mean you shouldn't buy nice clothes? No. Does that mean that you shouldn't have a nice car? No. Does that mean you shouldn't have a big house? No. Spend reasonably. Don't spend extravagantly. People ask me from time to time, what do I think about um, someone who lives in a $500,000 house when there are people on the other side of the world that you know, live on less than $10 a day. And you know, I think that's a really narrow view of a larger issue. And the larger issue may be this. What has God called you to? Where is God sending you? If God is sending you to the suburbs where you have a house, the, the house range costs $150,000, you need, you need to spend that much on a house. I mean, if you earn that much, if it's reasonable. If God has sent you into the city to, uh, like many of you live in the city, if you have to spend $1,400 a month in an apartment, when you can spend $800 a month in that apartment, 
you know, 15 miles down the road, then uh, what I would say to you is God is going to provide. It's been reasonable. Where is God sending you on mission? Do you understand that? Like, where is God sending you? And then go there, and, and if he hasn't provided for you to be there, then he's not sent you on mission, A. Um, but if he has provided for you to be there, then spend it without feeling bad about it. You know, uh, something that I think about is, um, uh, is is this area of spending reasonably. How do we, what do we, how do we spend money as a church? Well, we have to spend money reasonably. And you might wonder, and I just want to make this one last point, you may wonder, as an outsider, as someone that's been a newly in the church, well, how does this church deal with their money? How does it work? I just want to give you a really quick explanation of that. Uh, most of our people give online regularly. So we have our members are what's called mission partners, and most of them, uh, there is an expectation that every one of them will be giving regularly. The idea being, if you say yes, I believe God's called me to this mission, and what that means is not just called me to attend a church service, but called me to give my time, my talent, my treasure on mission. Most of our mission partners give regularly. There is a bookkeeper that works on behalf of our church, so we have outside controls, and we also have inside controls. We have a finance team that looks at the budget, how much we're spending, how much we have, where we're going, all that kind of stuff. I, at this point, as the one elder pastor, set direction. Like, I think this is where we need to go in the next six months or year, and then we, as uh, uh, our leaders among us, then begin to say, can we afford to do this, and what will God want us to do? So I want you to know as you think about money and your own money and, and uh, where God is sending you on mission, we would love for you to be a part of what God's doing here. And you know, I want us to think about this notion of something greater happening here than just money. We get so caught up in oh, money. Something greater is going on here, and that is who do you worship? Where do you place your trust? Where do you place your faith?